welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Let's read today what God has for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Last week we discovered that life offers hope, life is hope, and our time on earth is a period when we receive reward, when we experience God's blessing. We only get one trip around, folks, one trip around, and once we go to the grave, our share in this life, it's gone. It's gone. We get one chance. It's gone forever. Uh, We need to do it well. We'll never have, uh, we'll never again have an opportunity to share the good news that Christ has risen from the grave. All will be able to see them for themselves. Uh, We won't be able to offer comfort to a brother or sister who is sick. They will have glorified bodies. All of these opportunities, uh, therefore, will cease. So let us seize life and share the goodness that we enjoy right now. Make life grand. Reading from chapter 9 and verse 7, uh, since we're all going to die and our portion under the sun, uh, under this sun will cease forever. This serves as Solomon's urgent plea. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward. It's your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Well, Solomon offers here that just the same warning, the same warning at the close of verse 10 as he already had in verse 6, you and I will no longer have any hand in what is done under the sun once we die. We won't get to play our hand again. We'll no longer contribute to any activity that is done under the sun. Uh, We will not be able to be involved with planning or knowledge or wisdom once we die. The opportunity is now. Uh, Therefore, we must make such contributions now. Seize the day. Folks, make the changes that you need to life now. Now, while you still possess it. Folks, that is great advice. Great advice. And it's not simply an opinion by Solomon. This is the wisdom of God's word. It is God's powerful word to change your life. His word of wisdom to man. And I especially appreciate what is amplified as vital in this passage. All these things are vital says, go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, 
For God already approves your works. He already approves. Now unmistakably, this, isn't, this is speaking to those righteous before God. Earlier in chapter 8, Solomon assured in verse 12, he said, I know that it will be well for those who fear God and those who fear him openly. And from what we have observed in previous chapters throughout this book, this is clearly not extended as a license to sin. Folks, this is a license to enjoy. Verse 7, it's one of the the many statements in Ecclesiastes that theologians refer to as the enjoyment passages of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon, Solomon has made repeated calls, if you've been here during the course of this book, he's made repeated calls to enjoy life. We need to get a grip of this. You know, it's unlikely, unlikely that I'll get the pleasure of being able to preach through this book again in my lifetime. There are many other books we'll progress to, uh, so unlikely I will teach Ecclesiastes again. But if I were to title this, this series Again today, starting today, if I were to be able to title it over again, it probably would not be a journey from vanity to sanity. That is true. It is a journey from vanity to sanity. But I would title this series, Ecclesiastes, Your License to Enjoy. It truly is. It truly is. Um, This is because, I title it because virtually every subdivision in the book points to the vanity of accumulating, points to the futility of trying to preserve this fleeting life. But at the end of each section, it it has a command to enjoy the fruit of your labor today. Enjoy it today while you still have life. The wisdom in the book is fantastic. It's fantastic. Ecclesiastes is your license to enjoy life. Don't let people rob that from you. Make your life grand. Make it grand. And Solomon has some pointers for that. The command uh, to do so, to make your life grand, it's urgent. It's urgent. The first word in our English translations you'll see is go. Go. It's a Hebrew verb represented, uh, represented as an imperative. You must choose to do this today. Go. And at the end of verse 7, uh, it assures that God's already offered this to you. He already approves. Go then and do what he says. Philip Reichen says this of, uh, of the passage. Quote, Primarily the preacher is saying that our eating and drinking enjoy the blessing of God. Life's enjoyments are not guilty pleasures, but godly pleasures. Or at least they ought to be. A merry heart, he says, has God's approval. It's part of his gracious will for our lives that wonderful? It's wonderful. 
And in both Ecclesiastes 3, verse 13, and in chapter 5, verse 19, Solomon assures that eating and drinking by the fruit of your labor, this is the gift of God. It's a gift of God. Enjoy it. So what you can say the next time that someone gives you a guilt trip for ordering that double meat, double cheese Whataburger. When you're out celebrating your special day and you order, order that second dessert and they say, are you really going to eat that? You say, shush! This is the gift of God right here. You can say, they ask, well, isn't there a line where enjoyment passes into indulgence? You say, yes, but I haven't reached it yet. (laughs) There are far too many self-appointed and self-anointed food police. Boy, in this day, they're preaching Colossians 2 verse 21. And they'll say, well, don't you know what Scripture says? Scripture says, do not handle... Do not taste. Do not touch. But they fail to recognize that the Apostle Paul says that in a context where no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. No one is to act as your judge. Folks, there there is so much legalism today. It's among Christians. It's among churches. Um, Even though Paul... He writes to the Christians in 1 Timothy chapter 4, warning this. Get a load of this. The Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in latter times, some will fade away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Boy, that sounds serious. That sounds serious. What could be so serious? What does Paul identify as these doctrines of demons? He says it's preached by those who forbid marriage and advocating, uh, advocate abstaining from foods which God has great created to be gratefully shared in those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Boy, isn't that astonishing? Astonishing how the simple pleasures of life that we are encouraged to enjoy in Ecclesiastes Food, drink, and marriage are these same things, the very things that Paul also urges us to enjoy, yet at the same time he warns us will be forbidden by deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons via the hypocrisy of liars. A simple, enjoyable life will be forbidden by some. Hmm. Now before I go too much further, there surely exists a threshold of indulgence. There does. But this passage isn't warning us against that. That is a different passage. 
for a different day and a different sermon. Today our passage from Solomon is emphasizing enjoyment. Go, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. The drinking of wine, hot button issue in places, obviously can never progress to drunkenness. It's clearly forbidden in Scripture. But fabricating a doctrine of legalistic abstinence is also forbidden in Scripture. Certainly permissible to abstain, becomes in many situations advisable, wise, even spiritual, to abstain. We do not here on our property or in church activities tempt anyone who may be adversely affected by alcohol or wine. But I also won't place anyone under a law that I have created that is not found in Scripture. If you would like to enjoy a a glass of wine or a beer with dinner, that is your liberty. But you must remain mindful. You must remain mindful. Paul, the apostle, writes forcibly against legalism. Forcibly against legalism. And and that's a horrible trait that robs churches of, of happiness and cheer and what God has created For us to enjoy, you probably as I have heard many different sermons, many sermons over the years that attempt to make a biblical case for rigid abstinence, and they always fall short. They always fall short. When you leave, you're like, yeah, but... I once even heard it claimed that the wine described in the pages of the New Testament was so diluted with water that it virtually became impossible to become drunk. Have you heard that one? So diluted because your stomach would become full before you could possibly become intoxicated. I've heard that claim before. So one problem with that interpretation it is that many in the church of Corinth while partaking of the Lord's Supper, actually were becoming drunk. Kind of blows that theory, doesn't it? Additionally, Paul cautioned the Ephesians, do not get drunk with wine. So I guess it was actually possible. Clearly. Yet the apostles nowhere prohibited its consumption, uh, so I won't either. Let your cheerful heart be accompanied, folks, by sobering moderation. That requires a little further explanation. 1 Peter chapter 4 assures that drunkenness and drinking parties are excesses of dissipation. It's a good sermon for another day. And they're characteristic of our previous life of sin. So Christians are not to permit our minds to be influenced by intoxicating substance. I imagine there are a number present today who recall their past life before Christ. It was influenced by alcohol, and thereby you remember the amount of consumption that crosses the line, the threshold, to becoming influenced. 
I see some heads being nodded there. And even our Department of Public Safety recognizes that that level of consumption is small. It's small. So does Scripture then put a limit on it? Clearly it does. Clearly it does. And Scripture would require that we abstain if alcohol for ourselves or those accompanying us is a detriment to us or to them. Our concern uh, for our brethren trumps liberty. It trumps liberty. But we also preserve our liberty. We preserve our liberty. And, and when it comes to an offense of food or drink that might cause a weaker Christian to stumble, as seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it is stated in the context of him or her slipping back into a previous sin of religious idolatry. Is eating meat sacrificed to idols. You can tell the difference between a weaker brother who may be affected by eating meat sacrificed to idols and a legalist who is trying to manipulate your eating or drinking choices so that they feel empowered. You can tell that, can't you? Trying to think of a couple examples here. Early this morning, a couple examples of the meat side of thing. I don't know of any. Some meat that I would eat that would cause people to slip into a previous pattern of idolatry. If you know one, let me, let me know afterwards. I'm kind of interested to know. Don't have any examples. We have a liberty. And the Bible Knowledge Commentary makes this comment. It should be understood that Paul did not say that a knowledgeable Christian must abandon his freedom to the ignorant prejudice of a spiritual bigot. The weak brother was one who followed the example of another Christian, not one who carped and coerced that knowledgeable Christian into a particular behavioral pattern. They continue to say it was also unlikely that Paul saw this weaker brother as permanently shackling the freedom of the knowledgeable Christian. So the lesson of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is this. We don't want to cause a weak brother to stumble back into religious idolatry. And as a polar opposite, neither are we going to allow a legalist to restrict our liberty to which we have been called. Eat and drink to the glory of God. Make life grand. Make life grand. We also see in verse 8 that making life grand anticipates a little effort on our part. Solomon writes, let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. You know, in the ancient Near East, White clothing was symbolic of joyful celebration. It's a color that they celebrated in. And Solomon says, dress in a way that celebrates all the time. Dress in that way. Folks, there is a place for looking happy and well-kept in church. Be happy. Display that you are happy. Dress like you care about life. For some, that is... For some, that is wearing a suit and tie. 
For others, especially in South Florida, it's sometimes a bit more casual. The nice, light, fresh, clean shirt. Bright and fresh. Need any advice on that? See Angelo. You don't get any brighter and fresher than Angelo's shirts. Show your joy in how you dress. Fragrant oils, they were used on the head and the face. So don't just look nice, smell nice. Take a shower. (laughs) Comb your teeth. Put on some cologne all the time. Do it all the time. Good reason to do it is in verse 9. You're preparing for a date, folks. Freshen up. This is an attitude about life. This is just an attitude day to day. Solomon writes, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Boy, men, pay attention. We need to be reminded that marriage is exclusively for this life under the sun. It's for this life. And your wife is your reward in life. She's a reward. But she's a temporary privilege. Take that to heart. She is a temporary privilege in this life. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 30, In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. The cessation of marriage, it correlates with this theme of Ecclesiastes. The last few verses that assure that we, when we go down to lie in Sheol, our current life experiences cease. Our experiences under the sun are gone. You will not get to experience marriage in heaven, men, You better enjoy her now. Think of all the time, oh, all the time that you are wasting on fill in the blank. Scripture would say, it would suggest when it's within your ability, take your wife wherever you go. Love her. Take care of her. Share your experiences in life with her. Include her aspirations with your aspirations. After all, she's the woman that you love. Love her like you mean it and enjoy her all the days of your fleeting life. Wisdom. Wisdom for this life. Your time on earth is short. It's short. And there are certain interests that consume a life that are not nearly as valuable as your wife. 
the marriages that I've seen uh, that have proven over over time to really succeed, especially uh, to become especially strong, you regularly see the husbands and the wives join together. They're happy together. And this mirrors the scene of Genesis chapter 2. It's very important again for us husbands to embrace. Listen to this closely. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother to be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. I don't do a ton with the guys, with just the guys. Proverbs 18.22, this is the reason. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Should I read that one again? Nod your heads, yes, man. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Boy, if we men embrace the understanding of how marriage and a wife only for this life. It's a privileged experience and enjoyed only at this time. If we understood that, uh, marriages would become much stronger. Much stronger. Men, heed the wisdom of God. Solomon is undoubtedly referring to the woman next to you when he states, this is your reward in life. And in your toil in which you have labored under the sun, she's the reward. She's reward in toil, recalling how the curse, how fallen man must work in toil and, and to eat by the sweat of his brow. Your reward is the woman whom God has given you each and every day. Honestly, I don't know how I'm going to survive in heaven. It's going to require grace. 1 Corinthians speaks as of an unmarried person with a special spiritual gift of undistracted devotion to the Lord. Uh, that's another sermon, a good sermon for another day. I don't have that gift. Husbands, if you're married, you don't either. Love your wives. And in verse 10, one final exhortation today from Solomon. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, 
For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. As I stated earlier, making life grand, it takes a little effort. It takes a little effort. Life, life, folks, it's a participation sport. You got to try. Our earlier scripture reading from Colossians 3 verse 17 reminds us, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Then again, as I read earlier, just a few verses later, verse 23, Paul writes, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The object lesson of this passage today, it seems clear enough, your experience under the sun will be positively affected through your passion for work. Be positively affected. Solomon has already mentioned the word labor in this, in this book, meaning the labor of your hands, including the fruit of your labor, 17 times in previous chapters. 17 times already in the book. The clothes you wear, the oil you put on your head, the quality of pleasures you share, it's your reward in life. They become accessible for those who are able to toil in what you have labored under the sun. Uh, Diligent work is a major contributor to making your life grand. It takes active participation. Seize the day. Wisdom says, do not expect life to be all that grand without it. Seize the day. In fact, hearkening back to chapter 4 and verse 9, Solomon declares this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. When it comes to work, two are better than one. Ever been in a situation where you needed to rely on the other? I have. Wow. Seasons of life, can't find work, can't work. You rely on the other. Two are better than one. And the happiest marriages are those where the husband and wife labor together, making life grand under the sun. Do it together. For some, this may be a season at home with the children. There may come other seasons later where the wife buys a field, makes linen garments, sells them in the marketplace. Enjoy everything. Enjoy everything you have. If you're married, actually, You may enjoy eating. You should enjoy eating and drinking and dressing up and working and vacationing even as a single person. You can enjoy all of these in fellowship with the body of Christ. In fact, our fellowship in church on Sunday, 
Well, well, that is absolutely the most enjoyable day of every week for us. Absolutely love it. You can enjoy that as a single person. In fact, I believe the fellowship of the body of Christ, as we come together on Sundays, will be a precursor for our worship in heaven. As it appears, we will all be single. Yet we come together to love, to fellowship, and to share. But if you're married, that's our passage today, it urges you to labor diligently to enjoy all of life's goodness together while you can. Vacation together. Serve together. Give together. And enjoy all of life's goodness together while you can. And men, enjoy your wife, the woman whom you love. She is your reward. All the days of your life under the sun. Make life grand. Let's pray. Father, how is he? We, we look at the wonderful life that you give and, and this season under the sun where we enjoy food and drink and covering and relationships, husbands and wives, Lord, all of us in the church. Lord, we're so grateful. So grateful. And I, I would pray for us today as a church that we would seize this, that we would really grasp the goodness that you've shown us during this life, that we would live, that we'd laugh, and that we'd love. And that, Lord, we would prepare one another to meet you on that day when we will all worship in harmony together. Father, as we think about uh, your church around the globe, all over, Christians everywhere, a gathering together uh, to, to sing praises to Jesus Christ. We think even today of those in Niger and even Anza with his family. That you would bless them. That you would bless the poor. That as there are opportunities, that you would use us as that vessel. And we pray for Anza, that church, for Crystal Rendell in the field. For Kim Hibbard, who returns shortly to India. Uh, our other missionaries, Lord, who are proclaiming the gospel. Father, bless them with the same love that you've shown us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.